0: Morning, brothers, sisters. Today, I want to share a little bit on Revelations 3. If you want to turn there with me, I'll touch a few scriptures in Revelations 2. I'm going to lead up to the Church of Sardis. But what I want to talk today. And his brother Ralph was sharing, I couldn't help but think. Every church, Church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea, God said the same thing every time. And these words were I know thy works. I know thy works. So in Ephesus, he says, I know thy works and thy labor, thy patience. How thou cannot bear them that are evil. And thou hast tried them that say they are apostles and are not. But he keeps going and says, I've somewhat against you. You've left your first love. There's two churches in Revelations. where God didn't say, I have somewhat against you. Only two. And that's the next church in Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia. And somewhere, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves within these seven churches. We find ourselves somewhere in our own hearts, in our own beings as Christians, we're somewhere in here. And as a church, we're somewhere in here. As a group of churches, we're in here. But one thing to remember as we're, we consider ourselves being in one of these churches are the words of God. I know thy works. So God knows. He knows everything. He knows our words. Pride, Brother Elf spoke on pride. And I look in my heart and, and I do see pride in my life. There's pride, there's fear, there's sometimes arrogance in ourselves. And all these things keep us from understanding the true heart of God. And it keeps us from seeing ourselves. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about an autopsy. God is doing on every heart, on me and on you, on every church. God is doing an autopsy. And he's looking, and he's watching, and he says, I know your works. So imagine you are crawling in the scourge near dead across the hot-burning desert and dying of thirst. You're close to perishing. Ahead you see a sign, cool, clear, life-giving water, only five miles ahead. This sign gives you renewed energy, new hope. You continue your tormenting crawl across the parched sand, as you arrive at the promised place. You see a magnificent building radiant in its beauty. The sign outside invites you in, even beckoning you of the promise and life-giving water. So you call through the entrance into the glorious building, and there before you is the promised well. With a bucket ready to be let down and filled with water to clench your thirst, quench your thirst and pour life back into your body. With the last bit of strength, you lure the bucket into the well, expecting a splash as the bucket hits the water. But it never comes. The only sound is a dull thud of the bucket hitting the bottom. You think that perhaps you are delirious, so you reel in the bucket only to find it full of dust. Dust that cannot quench your thirst. The dust that only deepens the thirst or deepens your thirst and destroys all your hope. Pretty far-fetched, isn't it? Jesus promised life-giving water. This is an experience many people go and seek from God's other people. They seek to be filled with, Like even here this morning, brothers and sisters, why are we here? Why did we come? Make ourselves feel good? Why are we here in the house as a gathering of the saints? Expecting to be fed with the water and the bread of life. If we came as brothers and sisters here this morning, as young people, And thinking this should be what fills me for the week. It's going to be a thud. Just like the dry well. It won't fill us. It never does. This morning is. We're sharing a bit at home. We talked a little bit on Christianity. What is Christianity? What is true Christianity? And you know a lot of times. I look at my life, you can look at your life, I know you have morning meetings here, we do too at home, and they're beautiful, they're good, we come there and we read the word of God, we talk about the word of God, it's beautiful, it's good, we get together sometimes during the week to worship God, it's beautiful. It's good and it's needed. But do you feel a thud in your heart? Do you feel that that bucket comes down and it goes thuk and dust is being pulled up? If we think The scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourself. And it's beautiful. And it's God-ordained. And it needs to be. And we need to be there. And I appreciate, Brother Ralph, what you shared on making yourself vulnerable to other people. We have to. That's how we grow. Being vulnerable, that's how God can use you. That's how God can work on you. That's how you can overcome But the Bible says, when Jesus said there, when he talks about the things and the cares of tomorrow, he said to seek first the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it says. What is it? What is the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What is righteousness? So his righteousness. What is God's righteousness? Righteousness. It's something implanted into me and you if we are his children and we are following his commandments and are obedient to his will. It's something he plants into you to make you work beautiful and tick as a clock keeps, keeps, keeps time, one second at a time, beautiful harmony and rhythm. It's righteousness, it works. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else. Will be added onto you. It's the fellowship. It's the love for each other. It's gonna be added. It's our clothes. It's our houses. But don't seek that first. Seek the kingdom. Seek God in your own heart. And let the Lord do His work. Let Him work in me and you. So God is doing an autopsy on me, He's doing an autopsy on you, He's doing an autopsy on our churches. And I want to read here in Revelations three, verse one to verse six, and then we'll go from there. Unto the angel of the church of Sardis write these things: Say it he that has seven spirits of God, the seven stars. I know thy works, and thy name that thou that and thou hast a name that thou livest. And are dead be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have found thy works or have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come to thee as at the even the night, and thou shalt not know the hour which I come to thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will blot I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit. Say it on to the churches. This message is in no way, brothers and sisters, to condemn anyone. It's in no way to judge our churches. This message is 100% to know that God has a pulse on our churches and He's watching and He knows our works, He knows who we are. He knows the innermost being of our hearts. He knows our thoughts, and he knows everything. And I just want to read here a little bit on the church of Sardis that kept them from knowing the true heart of God. I'm going to read a little bit of the history of Sardis, a little background. Number one, Sardis was the capital of Lydia, it was founded about the year of 1200 BC. It was a very old city. The original city sat on top of a 1500 foot plateau. There was one narrow road leading to the city. The other side of the plateau was steep, steep cliffs. This made the city very safe and almost impenetrable for invading armies. Sardis was the home of Aesop. lot of you have heard of Aesop's fables. That's where he was. Gold and silver coins were first minted there. The city of Sardis was famous for its industry that operated there. Carpet, wool, dyed clothing. They were the primary products that were put out of that city. It says that the art of dyeing clothing was invented in Sardis. At one time, Sardis had been one of the greatest cities in the world. It reached its peak under King Croesus. King Croesus and Sardis were famed around the world for their wealth. In that part of the world, it's still common to hear the praise or the phrase, as wealthy as Croesus. So to this day, it's still a a phrase in that part of the world. While Sardis reached its peak under Croesus, it also fell under his reign. He and the people of the city became complacent in their wealth, their power, their city, the thinking their city was apparently Invincible. When that region where Sardis was located came under attack by Cyrus the Persian, King Croesus and his people retreated into their city, believing they were safe. One night, one of the poor Persian soldiers saw a Sardinian soldier drop a helmet over the wall of the city. He watched as the soldier followed a hidden path down the side of the mountain to retreat his helmet. When nightfall came, Cyrus and his troops followed a hidden path up the side of the mountain and entered the city while the guards slept and conquered it. Sardis regained some of its former wealth under the reign of Alexander the Great, but was invaded and defeated by Antiochus the Great. Who also entered the city at night while the guards slept. When the Romans came, Sardis was still well—a wealthy, powerful city—but it was just a shell of its former self. By John's day, Sardis was just a shell of what had been. The people had grown lazy, degenerate, immoral, and complacent. Sardis was dying through empathy and indifference, or the lack of interest or concern and indifference. The city was very proud of its past. It was proud of its reputation, but its reputation was all that it had left in this time when, the, when it was written to the church of Sardis. The city was dead, even while it lived. that's some of the history of that city. Why did God write things the way he did to the church? Apparently, the church of Sardis, in many ways, had adopted the atmosphere of the city. And you can read it. The church became a thermometer to register the temperature of the city instead of a thermostat that changed the temperature of the city. And again, you can read it. It says here that thou hast a name that thou livest and are dead. They had a name that they lived, but they were dead. It is the church that had become somewhat lazy, somewhat complacent about their Lord Jesus Christ. Just as surely as the city of Saerdes was dying, so was the church of Christ in that city. Jesus has no words. Of no, it has no words of commendation for them. But it does have some words of counsel. And we'd like to look at some of these words that Jesus was saying. There's a word of warning in for us, brothers and sisters, in the churches. When it says, unto the angel of the church, of this church, Auntie Angel of the Church of Sardis, of Philadelphia, of Laodicea, and of all these churches. Right. A warning. And a warning is good for us. We need it sometimes. The other day, one of the brothers at home shared a message about God wanting or punishing us for not having our having our eyes and our focus on him or having other gods set up before him. Now, I don't believe God. And I want to say this carefully. God is not a God that wants to come down and punish us. That's not God's heart. I don't believe it. But he does warn us. He does do things to get our attention. He does do things to draw us closer to him. When Elijah was in the cave, when he ran from Jezebel, thought there was nobody else around. So he fled to the cave. And there was a great wind that came. There were thunderings that came, great noise. How did God come? How did God come? He came in a still small voice. And I believe that's how God still speaks today. I have to think of many trials. Brother Ralph mentioned our sister Rachel. And for us in a human way to look at it, it's hard to understand why God. Why God. When Katie Basel left to go to Rochester, I happened to be at the house right when she left. She walked out of the door. I know she was feeling a little bit a little sick, and she was feeling weak. But overall, she looked really pretty good, and I was—I happened to be there. I also happened to be come go visit her, and the day she came home, over a month later, from Rochester, and I walked into the door, and I see, and I saw the toll that chemo had done on her. You know what Kate also said to me first words, and I just felt like breaking down and just sobbing, just like I do now. When I recall the words, she said, Duane, Jesus has done a wonderful work in me. The Lord has shown me many things about myself. She absolutely did not see what I was seeing, my human way of thinking. She didn't see it. But Kepal saw the autopsy, the pulse that God was looking for in her life, and she got it, and she was blessed. She was so overjoyed with what the Lord had done in her, That's all you could talk about. That's what God wants to do, and that's how the Lord speaks. No matter what disasters we see, what trials we go through, no matter what happens, God still speaks in a beautiful, loving, soft way to my heart and to your heart. That's how he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. To us, when we look at things, I remember the night when our shop burned down. There was such chaos. There was five or six different fire departments. There were lights flashing everywhere. There was people running everywhere. There was machinery everywhere. There were motors running. There was um, water sprayed everywhere. Such chaos. My wife and I, there's a little black mound right behind the shop. My wife and I went up there to pray. So we prayed over everything. And for some reason, my eyes were drawn to the heavens. So I looked up into the heavens and there was such peace. Such immense peace in the heavens that night. And I said, honey, look. Look at the peace of God. Within our hearts, within our minds, right there on the floor, there was such turmoil. But in God's kingdom, he brought full peace. And that peace came over me. And it hasn't left me. And I'm like, wow, God. God. All the turmoil, all the hurt, all the pain that humans go through. But yet you bring peace. You speak quietly. You draw our hearts. You want our attention. In the same way, there's something that keeps us from getting his attention. It was was touched on. It's our pride. If we're proud, if we don't open up to each other, if we're afraid of what people will think of us, it keeps God from getting our attention. And we look at Sardis here, at the church, a name, a beautiful name, of a city that was once this glorious place, had a good reputation all around the world. To this day, still quotes being said about that city and about their king, But he said, Thou art dead. Why? Such a beautiful name. Such a glorious city. Thou art dead. You know, we like to look at things in our life and in our churches that God has done in the past. I was a little bit torn. I had two messages. One of them was the three stages of life. This is one, the autopsy of God. (laughs) We're often tempted to look at our past and to be proud of our past. To be proud of God, what God has done in our past. And God has done marvelous things in our past. He actually has. God has shown us light in our past. He's done a great work among the church here in Altona in the past. In Almendorf he's done a great work in the past. In our own personal life, you can find things that God has done in your past. And they're beautiful. They're glorious. And sometimes the problem is we hold to that. And that's what we want people to see. We want them to see this is who we were in the past. This is who we are. Look at this. It looks good. I really appreciate the message on being vulnerable. You know what? In one way, God doesn't care about our past. He actually doesn't. God cares about you now, right here. Who are you? What are you? That's what he cares about. Where are you heading? That's what he cares about. Whatever we did... Whoever we were in the past, when we stand before God, just as this church, when they stood before God, what was it? It didn't mean anything. The past of a glorious kingdom doesn't mean anything. If you look at, it mentioned Alexander the Great here. What he conquered in the world, absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. With the numbers that he had against numbers that he went against. Absolutely phenomenal. What is that? What's the big deal in a sense? What did it help him? Having the name of the great Alexander that conquered the world. Didn't mean anything. What did he do? What did he achieve in life? Spiritually? Absolutely nothing. He didn't achieve anything. Spiritually. What's God looking at? How is he speaking to us? So the churches that when God talks about the churches, there's three phases. We have to look at it. We have to look at it practically the real church issues, the real issues that we have here. Prophetically, we have to see ourselves, the church era somewhere within these churches. And then personally, these letters have something to say to me and you today. Who are we? Are we faithful men? Praise God. We should be faithful men. We should have the joy of the Lord flowing from us. That's what our desire, our hope should be for the kingdom to come, the kingdom here on this earth. But yes, the kingdom to come also. I really love the song, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and blood, his love and blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, whatever we have here on this earth, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's one of my favorite songs. But is it truly, is it truly our hope? So for every warning that God gives to any church, to any people, to your heart, to my heart, for any conviction he puts into me and you, he has something on the flip side Let's say he convicts you of something. Let's say he convicts me of something. He has something on the flip side to fill that. When we make ourselves vulnerable and empty it out, God has something there to fill it. So he has a way of dying to, to diagnose our problem, but not just diagnose our problem. He has a way to um, fix our issues So there are certain signs that we have. Many churches, when we look at Sardis, are in the same way today. Most of the evangelical world, and sometimes, frankly, I find myself exactly in the same state. And maybe if you actually check your heart, who you are, what you are, maybe you'll find yourself sometimes thinking that you're in the state of the Church of Sardis. Where we have a name, a beautiful name, people see us in a certain way. But yet, inside, there's just dust coming up. We have appearance sometimes of life. The great physician who has his finger... On our pulse, and I often think of that. I often think of that. He knows what life is in us. He knows the deepest parts of mind in your heart. He knows every thought we think, and that's pretty pretty amazing, isn't it? He knows our secret times we spend. It's pretty scary, isn't it? Sometimes, but God knows. He knows who you really are. He knows who I am. So when I think of what Sister Rachel is going through, and people that have gone in the past before us, I often think, and I used to not, I remember living in Graysville when I was young, total carefree. I didn't think of dying once. I remember those days till I was about 18, 19 years old. I Never thought of dying. I never thought it was possible. Today, not a day passes where I don't think of dying. Not a day. And the reason it doesn't pass is because every day I actually look at my life and I ask God, what is the pulse saying? who am i what am i am i faithful or am i dying and i actually do that and sometimes honestly brothers and sisters i find in my heart a dying some days and you do too maybe i don't know i don't know your deepest parts of your heart but maybe someday you some days you find where you feel God would say, the pulse is very weak. Are we weak? Are we failing? Does God know things about our church, about our life, that we don't even see? You know, when Kate Pazza came home that day, before she left, I know her, and I know She searched her heart. And I could see that in her life. But yet, when she came back, she was what we read at the end of Job. And her eyes had opened up to a whole new realm. And that's what God sees. And that's what God wants to bring home to me and you. Who are we? Who are we really? Dying people in a dying church rest on past accomplishments and are satisfied with past states we were in or are in, and that's what we rest on. That's, these are some points if we know what the Paul to just to see where we are on our pulse, how God sees us. Somebody that's dying is more concerned about, and I want to be careful here how I say it, because in God's kingdom, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's in control and he rules supreme. And there are rules. There are, as Henry would say, rules and regulations in his kingdom. And don't get me wrong here. But dying people are more concerned about their rituals and their formalities than they are about their true spiritual well-being. And it's just something I want to bring out to just check ourselves, where we are, whether we are in the faith. Also more concerned about social change, then they are seeing people change, truly change from their inner heart by the power of God. They're more worried about becoming like the rest of society. And that's not God's kingdom. There's two ditches, brothers and sisters. There's two ditches. Are we on the road to eternity? On the road to To the kingdom of God. And walking in the kingdom now. Or are we dwelling on our past. On things we did on our past. And as a people. Coming from the backgrounds. We come from. There might be things. That we hang on to. That actually hinder us. From walking in fellowship. And in harmony with God. But at the same time. There might be things. That we run after. That we like to indulge in. That keep us and make us slide into a different ditch. And I think the latter is probably more dangerous for us. Social change. In our hearts, are we more concerned about material growth than we are about our spiritual well-being? Are we more concerned about pleasing our fellow man Then we are about standing as a true man of God that doesn't falter. How is our conviction and how is our dedication to the Word of God? If we don't have a desire for the Word of God, we can know that we're dying. We are. If we're not dead, if we don't have that desire. These are some signs of somebody that's dying. And here are signs of life. And this is what we want to see. So when we talk about having, we know when I pray, the high schoolers, we often pray for, like the missionaries in Haiti every day. Every day we pray for our sister Rachel and, Samuel and the family and everybody around here, brothers and sisters, we continuously pray for this church. We pray for our fellow churches. We pray for our governments. What do we pray? My hope is built on nothing less. My prayer, brothers and sisters, is for hope, peace, peace, Love and joy in the Holy Ghost and in the kingdom of God. That's my number one prayer for our churches, for people that are suffering, for people that are hurting. That's my prayer for hope, joy, love, and being full and guide and have security in the kingdom of God. And that's what it's all about. And if we see our lives. And look at our lives in that way. Where our hope and our joy. And everything that we have. Our whole being. Is that. People are going to see it. It's going to flow from us. It needs to flow from us. And it's life. it brings life. You know if somebody is. Laying. On their dead bed. What are, the, what are the most encouraging words you can say to a person like that? I know what you're going through. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The best thing we can do is, number one, have our hope individually in your heart fixed on Christ. To have that hope within you. And then share that hope. Share that joy. The joy of being in the kingdom of God. The joy of the new kingdom that's going to come down from heaven. And what a glorious day that will be. What a glorious day that will be. And that needs to be our hope that we look forward to. And that is our only hope, brothers and sisters. And I believe to encourage anyone, we have no idea a lot of times what's in another person's heart. We have no idea what a person is going through. And we have no business, unless we have absolutely lived through it, to say that I know what you're going through. Because most of the time we have no idea. We don't. We have no clue. So what do we bring? What do we bring? What's your pulse? What's my pulse? Do you bring hope? Do you bring love? Do you bring joy? That's who we are. That's what we need to be. So in a church, in a person that God uses, you see growth. You see growth. All living things are characterized by growth. When you look at each other, and humans are very good at judging each other. We do it all the time. And you can look at me right now. You can judge me. And you probably do. You probably did already before I came up here. That's who we are. We do that. But all living things are characterized by growth. I can look at you. I can watch you. I can listen to you. And I can see, did you grow or did you not grow? And that's a sign if somebody is alive and is not dying, where the pulse is going and beating. And we have to look at each other that way. We have to challenge each other that way. We actually do. That's our duty as brothers and sisters to actually, hey, brother, what are you struggling with? And share, what am I struggling with? And you see growth, and you see victory, you see overcoming. Another thing we see, when a physical body develops problems, it is because there is disharmony in the body. So when a physical body develops problems, so if I have issues, the last two weeks or three weeks, I've had these weird pains in my muscles. There were problems in my body. Why? There was something in my body that brought on disunity with the rest of my body. And we can see that somebody that's growing will grow more and more like Jesus and become more and more in harmony with Christ and his people. And it's the same way in a marriage. The more you become like Christ, the more your wife becomes like Christ, the closer you get in it together with each other. It's beautiful. It's the same way with brothers and sisters with the body of Christ. If it grows more in harmony, guess what's happening? And some of this harmony is hard, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everything's going to be easy. There are hard times. We have different opinions. As brothers and sisters, we have different ways of seeing things, which doesn't matter if your eyes are fixed on God and his kingdom. It doesn't matter if you have different opinions. God made you precious, and he made you as an individual person to be different than the next person. But yet in the kingdom of God, it will all come together. And if you see that growing in the church, in yourself, towards your fellow man, that's beautiful. That's what the Lord wants to see. That's when he sees the pulse going harder and harder. You see, emotion, another mark of life in a physical realm is emotion. Because I am alive, I can laugh, I can cry, I can feel pain, I can feel joy. We have emotion, emotions and they demonstrate the fact that we are alive. So it's a sign of life. What are emotions? And emotions and motions go together really well. They should go together well. Your emotions should drive your emotions. And in Christ, it drives you towards a beautiful purpose and towards life. So our physical body need motion. We, they need something that goes towards a brother or sister to bring that harmony that we talked about earlier, to bring that more life. So when we're in motion, when a church is in motion, it's active and it's excited about doing the work of God. Is it in a local level, in a broader level? But it's excited about doing the work of God. So that's motion. So quickly, I'll run over a few things that God, God's prescription it talks to them and tells them to be watchful. So as a church, we need to be watchful. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion walking around to mine in your heart, to mine in your thoughts, to mine in your desires, to seek how he can devour us. One thing we need to know about the kingdom of God and about the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God wants to bring unity. The kingdom of God wants to bring life wants to bring harmony, but the biggest thing you need to know about the kingdom of the devil and about the devil himself is that he hates you. Satan hates you. Are you living for him? He still hates you because he cannot love. Satan is a hater. He hates every part of you. No matter what you do, he still hates you. And if you know that, what greater... purpose in your life, or you know Satan hates you, to me, that that, that should be a motivator to draw to somebody that actually cares and loves you and let him do a work in your life, in my life. You're told to work, to revive, to strengthen the things which remain. I have not found thy works perfect before God. The work was incomplete in the church here at Sardis. He hadn't found the works perfect. So we're called to strive to enter the narrow gate. To strive to enter the narrow way. It's a work. It's a work in progress. And if you're not there, work on it. Let God do his work in you. Remember what you have therefore now heard and received. So we are to remember, yes. And hold fast, it says. Hold fast to the things that are alive. And the things that are dead, repent. Repent. And go on. Don't let Satan have you in the muck, in the trash. Don't stay there. Satan wants you there. He loves it when you're there. He still hates you there, but he loves it when you're there. But you don't have to be there. We can keep going. So when we confess Christ, we live for him, we're his children, there's a promise. Jesus said, I will confess his name before my father and before the angels, if you confess his name, live for him, have him, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, indwelling in your heart, and confess him and live like as if you are a Christian. Every step of the day, every thought that you have, live like you mean. Live like you mean it. That you are truly a Christian that you're truly a child of God and let the Holy Spirit flow from you and walk in love, walk in unity, walk in harmony. Confess him before man. Confess him before humanity with the walk of your life and then with your lips. And he will confess you before his angels and before the Father. Don't be ashamed. You know, when I became a Christian 21, 22 years ago, I remember the day I I was struggling for about two years before I became a Christian. I was really struggling. I knew there was something missing in my life. I knew I wanted to be good. I knew I wanted to please God before, a few years before. I went to church. I, uh, I attended Bible study. I did a lot of things like that. But there was something in my life talks about talking about confessing the name of Jesus. Um, there was something in me that I was afraid. I was afraid if I truly give my heart to the Lord, what will my friends think? What will this person think? What are we confessing before mankind? Who are you? What do people see in you? What's your confession? What's your pulse? What's my pulse? Who are we? I was really afraid. One thing I did not know is that once I actually surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's peace. I had no idea. And I remember the exact time when the Holy Spirit entered into my heart and gave me peace, and victory, and forgiveness. Do I have total victory? I'm still in the flesh, still fighting, and I want to keep fighting. But you know what? I am not afraid, brothers and sisters, to confess the name of Jesus in front of anyone today. I was very afraid back then. I was young, and I was vulnerable, and I didn't know. But today, I'm not afraid. No matter where I go, if I have an opportunity, I will profess the name of Jesus. I will try to put my flesh aside and let the Holy Spirit from within me show forth his joy and his love. That's what the Lord wants from you. That's what he wants from me. There's a man that was lifted in uh, I think he was born in 1901 and he died about in 1980 something. His name was Vince Harvner. I think he was a Baptist preacher. And he said ministries begin with one man who has a vision. One man who has a vision. That vision is captured by of, by others and becomes a movement. As the movement gains followers and momentum, it becomes a machine. And I want to challenge us, as individuals, just as individuals, are we that man that actually want to? Be like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ, and it grows, and it grows. Dean Taylor has this uh, little booklet, talk about a machine. It's called, um, how to write, Mission Machine. It's a beautiful booklet if you haven't read it. And it started with people, mostly with one person. I was obedient to God, and it had brought life, and it brought hope, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and these people were not afraid of dying. At that particular time, it said that 80% of the missionaries that went out did not come back. They were killed or imprisoned, 80%, 20% came back. They went out with power from the Holy Spirit, they love not their lives unto death. And that's what God wants from you and from me, to not, our life, not love our lives unto death. And what does that mean? Brother Elf? talked about being vulnerable. Right here in Altona. Do you love your life? Do you really love your life? Or don't you really care about your life? And what I mean by that, your physical body, your, the way you are, your pride, are you surrendered? Am I surrendered? Or do we love our lives? Do we love who other people think we are or feel that we are? Or are we vulnerable? The great physician has his finger on the pulse of our churches. He has his finger on your pulse. What does his touch reveal? What does it reveal in us? I often think of why we were created. We were created to glorify God. We were created to um, further his kingdom. That's why we were created. For his glory, for his praise. That's who we're supposed to be. So let's challenge ourselves. Let's challenge ourselves. If God speaks to your heart, let's examine ourselves. Who are we? Why are we here? Why did you come to church this morning or to the fellowship of the saints? The church is the people. Why did we get together? Because mom and dad said so. Because it's the right thing to do. There's some of that. But what's the true reason? Is it because we love each other? Is it because we desire to come together as brothers and sisters? That's what it's supposed to be. It is because we love to be in each other's presence. That's what it's supposed to be. For me, I'll tell you, I'm here because, frankly, I love you, brothers and sisters. I have my heart, my heart is drawn to you. And to me, that's beautiful. But I know I can use prayer and I know I can use help in some of these areas. Our heart needs to be drawn to each other. For the kingdom's sake. Because Jesus has implanted his Holy Spirit in many. Many sitting right here. He's implanted his Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit of God is within us, it should draw. It should be a common together, and It should be like a magnet for each other. That's his desire. So God is watching. I know thy works, he said. To every church, he knows who we are. Let's not fool ourselves. Let's make ourselves vulnerable. That's the only way we can grow. So, amen. May God bless you. I uh, count it a great privilege, brothers and sisters, to to be here among you. I count it a great privilege to, to be friends with you. And we still, and we do, covet your prayers. As a church in Elmendorf, we pray for you. I know the trials, some of the trials, and your trials are also some of our trials, and I know them, and in our heart we feel them, and we want to, and we want to be there for you as a church and as brothers, but let's let God check our pulse. Let's let him do an autopsy of our innermost being of our soul. And let him see: Are we alive? Are we dead? Are we working on it? Are we in tune with the kingdom of God? Is His Holy Spirit indwelling us? Is He truly leading us? And I think He is, and I feel it. I actually feel it. But let's encourage each other from glory to glory, as Scripture says. Let's not just stand, but let's encourage each other to go, keep going to seek his face, to seek his kingdom, and to not love our lives unto death. May God bless you.